0: Listening to the Up and Under Podcast starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Up and Under Podcast. I'm your host, Han, and joining me, as always, it's Zishan. Yo. Alright, man, so now that we're in. You know, a slow part of the off-season, you know, we're right before training camps, like, we're, like, maybe, like, three weeks away from training camps starting.
1: Slow, to say the least, and all
0: of Yeah, honestly, man, with the craziness of ending this previous season, the Olympics, and, you know, the off, like, the free agency, you know, we're now in, like, the quiet period. But now, it gives us a chance to kind of, you know, do some off-season content, you know, talk about things we don't normally get enough time to talk about during the regular season. And... Speaking of the offseason, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, definitely do so. And while you're there, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Definitely a good place to find us. But last week we talked about some of the notable moves and a common team that was brought up was the Los Angeles Lakers, kind of with their acquisition of you know like you know they added Rondo, they added Carmelo, they add like they just added a bunch Russell of guys, Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Like it basically is reminiscent and like Zishan was bringing this up, it was reminiscent to what the Cavs did in like. Was it, what? Tw- 2018. 2018, bringing in Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, like, and, like, but it was a massive failure. Like, that team was absolutely garbage. Like, it barely lasted to the trade deadline. So, we decided to use this episode to basically talk about five of the most disappointing teams over the last 15 years.
1: Yeah, well, like, speaking of the Los Angeles Lakers, for example, like, there's a lot of, for example... Uh, bust potential with the team I would say even another team that we talked about last week was the Chicago Bulls and we gave our opinion of you know they had a very good offseason but in terms of the actual quality of the team and how it'll play for us too we we had a lot of questions as to whether that team would succeed or the possibility of it being an epic fail and even when we look at another contender for example with like the Brooklyn Nets right there's a lot of bust potential in the sense that they're adding all of these players together And the expectation for them is to win a championship. Now, if they get booted out of the second round again, that would not be a good look for them, right? So based on all these factors, like Hani said, we decided to take five of the most disappointing teams, in our opinion, of the last 15 years. Again, we didn't want to go too far back because then it just gets too much. And there's been a lot of disappointing teams in NBA history.
0: And disappointing is subjective as well. Like, disappointing obviously would mean, like, in our opinion, why do we think they're disappointing, you know, and it could be different for you. Maybe you think a team that we think is disappointing with a team that you, that you thought did, was successful. It really depends on how you kind of look at it. But ultimately speaking, we went over these teams and we broke them down and we wanted to give you give guys their thoughts on some of them. And these teams. I think the main,
1: the common trend between these teams was high expectations or great regular seasons, for example, mm-hmm. um, with their rosters on paper and just the flame outs that they had or the lack of you know living up to those expectations like Kanye said it is very subjective so for example a team that we had on this list maybe you knew from the get-go of that season that they would not be a good team um you know, it's all very subjective. So we'll start off with the earliest team that we have or the team that goes most far back that we have on this list. We're talking about arguably the most disappointing team in NBA history to most people, I would say, the 2007 Dallas Mavericks. Now, the 2007 Dallas Mavericks were coming off of a 2006 finals trip where they won the first two games and they, you know, got pretty much swept. In they basketball. got
0: beat by young D. Wade. They
1: got beat by young D. Wade. Now... There are a lot of issues people had with the officiating and I would say that's warranted, you know, watching that series. There was a lot of um, gray area in those calls that, you know, a guy like D-Wade was getting. Ah, However, basketball. you got yeah, to love that era. Huh? <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. Like, again, they, they had massive expectations coming to that season. You know, they had just been off of a finals appearance. They had an MVP in Dirk Nowitzki who was clearly a man on a mission that season. He was the clear-cut MVP. The Dallas Mavericks finished with a 67 and 15 record. And they were clearly the best team in the league because they were six games ahead of the second best team. Um, they even had, you know, three different 10-plus winning streaks throughout the season. Their highest win streak was a 17-game win streak in the middle of the season. They were top five in offense and defensive rating, second in off, uh, second in offensive rating, uh, fifth in defensive rating, and finished with the second best net rating in the league. So they were very loaded. They had a very great season. They just had a great franchise altogether, a great organization altogether, and it's coming, you know, it's all coming together at the perfect opportunity, at the perfect time. You know, some of the notable names they had on the team, like we said, derek Nowitzki with his MVP season. They had an older Jerry Stackhouse, who was still on the tail end of his prime. But
0: still productive.
1: Still a productive player. You know, they had a younger Jason Terry, um, who was kind of in the prime of his career. Josh Howard, who was in the prime of his career, even though his career, basically the beginning of his career was his prime. Um, and then guys like Eric Dampier, Devin Harris, who were also notable names in the 2000s, who had great seasons for the Dallas Mavericks. Overall, this was just a very fundamentally, you know, very fun team to watch, very good overall team led by a superstar in Dirk Nowitzki. And for them, you know, we all know the story of what happened. Um, the Golden State Warriors were basically their Achilles heel in the season. They lost all three games versus the Golden State Warriors. The eighth-seeded Golden State Warriors. Exactly. And the Golden State Warriors barely squeaked into the playoffs. You know, they had to win their last, I think, five straight games to get into the playoffs. And they did just that. Um, and like we said, the Dallas Mavericks, we all know the story. They lost four to to the we believe Warriors, the eight seeded Warriors in the first round, in what was one of the biggest upsets in NBA history. That was the second time ever in NBA history to that point where a eight seed uh, beat a one seed in the first round. And what made it even worse was that they got blown out by twenty plus in the last game in Game Six. So it just it was not a good, it was not a good team for the Dallas Mavericks to face. It can be argued that. If they had faced any other team in the first round, they would probably win the championship that
0: year. I mean, again, but that's but that's the craziness of the NBA playoffs. It's not like the regular season; like it's a complete, it's its own thing. So the the Mavs might have been you know great during the regular season, and if they faced anyone else, maybe yeah, you're right, they might have won the championship that year. But they played a Warriors team that had their number. And they were a scrappy team. Like, when you're a team that has to fight to get into the playoffs, you have something to prove. And you know, you're going to have, that team's going to have a chip on their shoulder. And I mean, the personalities on that team kind of says it all. I mean, you got Baron Davis, Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson, like.
1: Al Harrington. Al Harrington. Monte like, Ellis.
0: Monte Ellis. Like, that team was full of competitors, guys that, like, you know that never that never really quit. You know those like those scrappy, annoying guys on on, on, Again, the, on the team. Again,
1: at the time, these guys were there was a lot of young. They were a lot of young guys. There were a lot. These guys were not the most known names at the time. However, like you said, if we see throughout the rest of the twenty tens or the, the the rest of the two thousands, the rest of twenty tens, the rest of their careers, these guys became known for you know those you know hard nosed mentalities, blue collar work ethic. All of those guys. And for them to I think establish that in the early parts of those careers, um, on this we believe team, you know, for example Steven Jackson was a bit later on in his career. But, you know, like you said, this this roster was just made, I think, to beat the uh, Dallas Mavericks team. They were kind of the antithesis to those Dallas Mavericks teams. They were just they they had a great roster of personalities that clashed against and the Dallas Mavericks.
0: Again, team. like Credit in the world to Dirk Nowitzki. He's an amazing player, and again, Hall of Famer, all that, all that great stuff. But the thing about Dirk, if you physical him, if you kind of out muscle him, or out like you know scrap, I mean, you know, basically annoy, like you know, get into his, his him, you can seriously slow him down. And it was kind of true a lot of the times. Again, that was
1: that was the reputation he had. I think until basically twenty eleven, and in large part that was due to the way. Um, he lost against the Golden State Warriors, like you, like you said. Guys like Steven Jackson, Matt Barnes, Al Harrington. Al Harrington, I think, was a primary defender on him, if I remember. And Al Harrington was a clear, like, three inches shorter than him. Not, you know, nowhere near his height. Um, but that was the model for them. You know, get into Dirk Nowitzki's space. And that was kind of Dirk's reputation until he was able to break that reputation in 2011
0: and then i mean obviously him mastering him mastering the fadeaway, you know stretching his game out becoming a lot stronger much more of a physical presence that really helped him until like until obviously the 2011 championship which is what he pe- well which was his peak to be honest with you um in terms of his overall complete complete play as a player but yeah man the the all seven mavs i mean the perfect example of a, of a team that was that had it all. They had everything going for them, but they just ran into a team that, you know, had their number. Like, they they clearly, like, that was a team built to be...
1: Again, Mets. I think our last team that we're going to talk about, very similar situation.
0: Yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about them a little later. Which moves us into the next team that we felt was probably the most disappointing, one of the most disappointing teams of the last 15 years, and that's the 2013 Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Lakers... After, you know, winning the champion, you know, back-to-back titles, you know, 9 and 10, you know, they weren't really going anywhere. You know, they weren't really, and Kobe was getting older, you know, but they, so they wanted to make a big swing. So what, so what had just got
1: swept in the previous year by and, OKC?
0: And they just got swept in the previous year. So Mitch Kupchak decides, you know what, I'm going to make a big swing, do a Hollywood thing. I'm going to go out and get big names like Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. Now granted, you're getting an older Steve Nash, like this is the Steve Nash at the tail end of his career, but you're getting a Dwight Howard after the prime of his career with the Orlando Magic, where he went to the finals, uh, you know, a couple, the conference finals in the, East, in the East and the NBA finals as well. Dwight Howard was in the prime of his career, man, like Dwight Howard was prime Dwight Howard, and they wanted a pair of those two guys with Kobe Bryant. You know, in pay- on paper, that sounds amazing. Steve Nash would, is going to do the passing, Kobe does the scoring, Dwight cleans up the glass and becomes a defensive anchor. It just seemed like it would work. But, again, Steve Nash was at the tail end of his career. And I love Steve Nash, but at that point in his career, he was just done. Like, yeah. Nash battled inju- injuries throughout the year, and so did Dwight Howard. Now, the only difference is Dwight played through that season – Uh, with those injuries and he was not good at all that season again injuries played a big part but Nash again in and out of the lineup those guys really never got a chance to develop that chemistry uh, and really you know it never really became anything you know but this team when they were put together had championship aspirations like Everyone was like, yo, this team's going to be competing for a title. Yo, Kobe might be able to get that sixth ring.
1: Again, it was... The big thing was the Heat versus the Lakers. That's going to be the NBA Finals, right? Yeah. That's what
0: everyone thought. That's what everyone thought. But they they were just nowhere near good enough, man. Like, they were a very top-heavy team. When you look at the the overall construction of the roster, I mean, like, besides the main three guys, like, who really, who really else was there? Like, you had an older... Like, you had Pau Gasol a little older in that stage of his career you had a Metal World piece older Metal World piece Anton Jameson Jody Meeks well you have the young Jody Meeks it you know just it wasn't a great roster when when we're looking back at it it just wasn't a great roster for the time and the Lakers finished with a 45 and 37 record which gave them the 7th seed in the conference Uh, they were 6th in offensive rating which was pretty surprising when I looked it up
1: against Kobe
0: yeah of course Kobe Bryant and then 22nd defensively in defensive rating. Like, honestly speaking, like, Dwight was not good that year. Steve Nash was never really known for his defense. Then you have guys like Jordan Hill, who's not a good defender. Um, and, like, this team was not built for defense. Let's just put – and then, again, who did you – you had Mike D'Antoni coaching this team. So, yep, that, that's, that's already a negative defensively in and of itself. Uh, but ultimately, this, the Lakers, they made it to the playoffs, but they, lost, they got swept by the Spurs in the first round. And to make things even worse, this season got even worse because Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles during that season pretty much any, any chance that the Lakers had of winning a title.
1: And pretty much that was the end of his career as well, right? Pretty much. Um, again, I, the, the one thing with this Lakers team that always gets lost in shuffle, I, really, I always defend my point about this as well. People always like to talk about the Kobe- versus dwight howard dynamic now no doubt you know kobe and dwight howard had their issues but the main issue with that team is the injuries and the the lack of consistent playing time between all three of those guys you talked about steve nash and dwight howard being you know older versions of themselves steve nash in particular the issue with that is coming into those seasons steve nash still you know he wasn't steve nash of old but he still looked at as you know steve nash a good playmaker a guy who can still get you 15 points a game.
0: Well, look at his look at his his history. Like his history with big man is amazing because him and Amari Stoudemire, those, that was an amazing pairing.
1: Again, we talk about one thing that gets lost in shuffle of those Phoenix Suns teams was the medical staff of those Phoenix Suns teams, which is why Phoenix has a reputation for the medical staff that they have. Guys like resurrecting guys like. Jermaine O'Neal's career, Grant Hill's career, for them to be able to come back at the stages that they did shows how great of a medical staff uh, Phoenix Suns had, and Steve Nash was a recipient of that medical staff. So when he got to LA and he did not have that medical staff anymore, you kind of just saw how much his body deteriorated. And then for my point about Dwight Howard, man, Dwight Howard gets too much flack for that season because if you look at the injury that he had, you know, we look at you know he was coming off of his Orlando years. Dwight Howard, best center in the league, no doubt about it. But the issue was his back was completely messed up to the point where he was not even supposed to play that season. I mean, at all.
0: dude, he still put up decent numbers that season. Man, he put up 17 a game, 12 boards. Like it was still Dwight Howard things. Like 2.4 blocks a game. Like again, he wasn't like you know three time Defensive Player of the Year Dwight Howard, but he was still good. Yeah, for man. being and injured. And that's
1: the thing, right? That's why I think Lakers fans. That's the one issue I have with Lakers fans when talking about that season. I think they give too much crap to Dwight Howard in the sense that this guy wasn't even supposed to play that season, man. He wasn't supposed to play that season. And this guy gutted out that season uh, because he wanted to win that championship with Kobe. He wanted to get Kobe that sixth ring. And you can, you can argue that he kind of ruined his own career because I was of that. About to, I was just about to right? say he that. He kind of ruined his own career because of that. Because he was clearly never the same after that back injury. And had he sat out that season, maybe we could have seen Dwight Howard you know Orlando Dwight Howard for a couple of more years and he was still very good in Houston. People don't people forget, you know, before that last season in Houston where it's just complete chaos, he was, you know, great in Houston. He was putting up like 20-20 games in Houston, um, even coming off of those back surgeries. So like Dwight Howard, I think that was my, that's always been my biggest issue when talking about that team is that people especially people who are newer fans and didn't see that team live, I don't remember I don't think remember the issues that even they were all dealing with and they just look at this on paper and, you know, bust garbage team.
0: I mean, one last point about Dwight Howard I want to say is that, like, you mentioned, if he just sat out, the biggest, the best part about Dwight Howard when he, in, his, in his prime years was his athleticism. He was a freak athlete. Like, you can already tell. The guy the guy's jacked. And like, But, like, he had, he was had that leaping ability. He, he can move. And that back injury just really killed out his, his athleticism. And, like, since Houston, he just wasn't the same since then. He was never that Orlando self and yeah, you can say if he still had that athleticism, who knows man, he probably would have had a much better ending to his career than what it looks like.
1: Exactly. And
0: but he got a title.
1: Yeah, he did get a title. He kind of redeemed himself in Los Angeles, so hey, that works out. Um, the next team we're going to talk about is the 2016 San Antonio Spurs. Now the 2016 San Antonio Spurs had just come off of a first round exit. Uh, previous to that year they had won the championship 2014 uh, however in 2015 they lost to basically a one-legged Chris Paul and the Los Angeles Clippers in the first round what a and shot again. by again. Chris Paul exactly man and I don't mean that as disrespect because Chris Paul played his heart out unfortunately that kind of killed him for the rest of the playoffs <laughs> because he could never play again for that playoffs yeah, Clippers and, curse. and the Clippers of course lost in the second round um but you know the San Antonio Spurs were coming off of a disappointing season even still they still had a relatively good regular season the season before however this season you know they had come into the season with expectations and they had played up to those expectations you know the championship expectations um they finished top 5 on both ends of the court they finished with a fourth rated offense and a first rated defense in, in the league and they also finished with the best net rating in the league um A lot of people looked at this 2016 Spurs team like the 2014 Spurs. You know, basically, 1 through 13, you could say, were all notable names on this team. We're all contributors on this team. You know, Kawhi Leonard was the leading scorer on this team at like 23 points a game. This is the
0: more established Kawhi Leonard at his career.
1: This was a Kawhi Leonard that was definitely looking like the superstar Kawhi Leonard that we see today. And yet, you know, the Spurs had a bunch of guys besides... Kawhi Leonard, and LaMarcus Aldridge, who both averaged upwards of 20. The rest of the guys averaged under 15. It was a bunch of 8 points, 9 points, 10 points, 12 points. Basically, it was very reminiscent, like I said, of the 2014 Spurs team, where it literally won the whole entire team. It was a team. It was a team, man. It was just a cohesive team. Um, Like I said, notable names, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, LaMarcus Aldridge, Tim Duncan, Danny Green. That was the first year of LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, Then their bench, they had Patty Mills, Manu Ginobili, Boris Diaw, David West, Kyle Anderson, Jonathan Simmons, uh, Boban Marjanovic. Go. Go. Literally, I just low-key named the whole team. And all of this team is basically notable names. They're all names that you know of um, to this day. And that was just because the San Antonio Spurs, in quintessential Spurs fashion, were just a great overall team. Unfortunately for them, the issue was that this did not hold up well in the playoffs, unlike their 2014 run. Um they, you know, they won their first uh they, they won their first series. However, they lost 4-2 in the semifinals versus the OKC Thunder. And unfortunately for the Spurs, this kind of signaled that era of the Spurs and their end, and it kind of moved forward into the Kawhi Leonard era, which, you know, did not last long. Um, but with the way okc played and kind of ending that dynasty similar to what they did to the lakers for example and the mavericks um you know they just completely beat them up man um you know for example a guy like tim duncan tim duncan was obviously the most notable name who just really looked like he was done and for that reason he retired after that playoff run um guys like steven adams Serge baka and ennis Cantor, we all remember vividly how much they really killed the spurs and this was you know unfortunate for the Spurs because of the fact that the Spurs' strength has always been their big man position. You know, guys like Tim Duncan, and then they had LaMarcus Aldridge this season.
0: Like, it was a strong front court. Like, they, it was not a weak front court by any means. Exactly.
1: Group. And for guys like Ennis Cantor and Steven Adams and Serge Ibaka, who are all quality players, no doubt. But for them to kill the Spurs the way they did, and then you had guys like Dion Waiters, who was in the prime of his career, um, and then obviously you had KD and Russell Westbrook finishing them off completely. Um, it just really signaled the end of that particular era for the Spurs. Now, Manu and Tony Parker still lasted a few more years after Tim Duncan. However, they were, that kind of, again, like I said, signaled the end of those championship aspirations like, for the
0: Spurs. They weren't the Spurs anymore. Like, they were, they were just another team. You know, the, the Spurs basically built yeah. themselves as developing this strong core and then having this culture where everybody contributes. And that kind of after Tim Duncan left, because Tim Duncan was that. Let's be real. Tim Duncan was the culture of that team. Um, it kind of fell apart, and you know, not everything is supposed to last. But man, like the Spurs, they had an amazing run. But yeah, you're right. Like as soon as like this happened, we saw Tim Duncan show his age a little bit, and that kind of sitting signaled the uh, the end was near. Yeah, San basically,
1: first. basically.
0: Yeah. So the Spurs were another disappointing team of that year. Which brings us to another team from 2016 that we felt was pretty disappointing that year. Um, it was the 2016 Golden State Warriors. And I know a lot of you are probably going to be like, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain. And yes, I'm going to be rational. I'm, I promise myself I'm going to save my slander for a little, little later. But after winning their first title in 2015, the Warriors, they were looking like a good team. Like they, were, you know, they took it a step further and they became one of the best teams of all time. Well, they, the
1: best regular season The team best
0: regular team. season team of all time. They finished with a record of 73-9. and They broke the, the 96 Bulls record. Um, and, man, they, they had everything going for them, man. They had the best offense in the league with a top-five defense. Steph Curry was playing out of his mind. He won his second MVP, which was back-to-back, by the way. And he won that MVP unanimously. Which first unanimous. The first unanimous MVP was to ever be awarded. Um, Steph had an amazing year. Klay Thompson solidified himself as a top two, maybe best shooting, go- or maybe best shooting guard in the league, at that point in his career, and he's he probably solidified himself as the best number two option in the league.
1: No doubt about that.
0: And like so, Klay was was playing well. Draymond Green continued to be a two way beast, and he had his best statistical season, especially offensively, that season. Like I think he averaged like 14. 9-7 uh, and seven that season and
1: he could shoot that was his best shooting
0: season yeah, he, he was shot, a
1: legitimate threat
0: he shot 38% from 3 that season so the Warriors had everything not to mention they had the best depth in the league too like obviously I just mentioned Steph Clay and Draymond they had Andre Iguodala who's again one of the best six men in the league uh, Harrison Barnes great role, role player at the time Sean Livingston you know money fade away money fade away young Kevon Looney who's still on the team but you, you know Kevon Looney was still a good role player for them. Andrew Bogut, again, solid presence inside. Leandro Barbosa, like, they they had so much depth on that team. Probably the best in the league, to be honest with you. No like, doubt. It was a good team from top to bottom. Listen, they, man,
1: their slogan was, uh, what was it, strength in numbers, yeah. right? And that was definitely true. <laughs>
0: definitely true. But even on top of all that, they had Steve Kerr's coaching. Like, and everyone kind of doubted Steve Kerr, obviously, with the... Uh, him being brought in, you know, they're like, okay, they won the championship, you know, is, is it legit, you know, but man, his, his coach, and yes, it was Steve Kerr's coaching, not Luke Walton's, let's be, a, let's just take that out of the way right now. It was Steve Kerr's team, Steve Kerr's system, it was all that.
1: And again, when people talk about, oh, Steve Kerr's trash now, blah, 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 blah. listen, man, the reason why Golden State was as successful as it was is because of Steve Kerr's system. We firsthand saw Mark Jackson's system. I know it's a very thrown-out narrative now that oh my God, it's Mark Jackson's team. Steve Kerr did not do anything, which is the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard in my life because I witnessed firsthand those Mark Jackson's teams, and they were nothing, nothing close to Steve Kerr's team on the court. Not to mention all the issues that he had on the court. I mean, off the court.
0: Yeah. So, so long story short, Steve Kerr like was a big part of this of this run. So the Warriors had talent, they had depth, and most of all, they had chemistry. That team was so cohesive because they were pretty much the same team from last year uh, that won a championship together. And they were just all together, all bought in. And they almost won the championship that year. But reality kind of set in. And, I, you know, ultimately, you know, it's kind of a weird way to look at it. But, like, yo, you can't have so much success and not anticipate a downfall of any kind. Like, that's just... You know, I think the universe has to balance itself in some regard. And I think it kind of did that for the Golden State Warriors. You know, and it all happened. And Draymond Green got suspended. for a game in the NBA Finals, the Warriors were up 3-1 in that series. And we know the ending to that. And Andrew
1: Bogut also got injured.
0: And Bogut got hurt. But ultimately, the Warriors went on to blow a 3-1 series lead to LeBron and the Cavs. We all know what happened. The block, the shot. And... Cleveland gets their first championship in 50 years. Um, like, honestly speaking, the fact that this Warriors team was built so well, they had everything going for them, they went 73-9. and But guess what? It don't mean a thing without the ring.
1: Yep, exactly. Now again, this wasn't a disappointing season comparatively to any other team, but just because of the fact that this was the greatest regular season in NBA history, and if you can't cap that off with a ring, that automatically turns you into a most disappointing team. Again, like you said, it's not exactly fair, well, but that's kind of what, what it is.
0: Like, what does that regular season do for you now? It does nothing. You, you still end up with the number one seed in the Western Western Conference. You still get home court throughout the playoffs. So even if you you won 60, win, 60 games and became the number one seed, it's the same. You got the same thing.
1: Again, they the Golden State Warriors talked about it too, right? Draymond Green. These guys talked about how. In hindsight, they wouldn't have gunned for that 73-9 season. Which, again, like, you can say that in hindsight, but if we were there in the moment, you have that opportunity to get that 73-9 and season, you're going to do it, man. That's, that's literally history right there. You kind of have to. Unfortunately, yeah. it did not help them in the championship run where, you know, a bit of injuries happened. You know, they had some issues in terms of fatigue. But, you know, again, the Bulls did it with one less win. And they got that ring. Again, they had Michael Jordan, but, you know, either way, this was a disappointing team just in the sense that they had the greatest regular season of all time. They couldn't cap it off with a championship.
0: Pretty much. And, like, you can always say that, oh, you know, Draymond shouldn't have gotten suspended and all that stuff. But the reality is, he led the league in technicals the entire season. Like, it was bound to happen at some point. And he just so happened to do it at the, make a mistake at the worst time possible. To the to the, to the the face of the league, by the way. Not
1: to mention, he got away with a couple of technicals, too. Yeah. In, in those playoffs. And, again...
0: He was on a short leash, for he sure. He
1: was on a short leash. And, you know, people bring up the fact that Draymond got suspended. Oh, and the Cavs won because of it. Draymond was back the next game. And LeBron dropped 41 again.
0: And so did Kyrie. So. so, yeah. Overall, this the war, 2016 Warriors... Again... Good story, but definitely a disappointing end to what could have been a pretty amazing year for them. Which brings us to the final team who we felt was the most disappointing team over the last 15 years. And this one hits home. So yes, because I'm talking about the Toronto Raptors, I am wearing the, the championship ring. Just to show y'all, we still got one of these. So yes, the 2018 Toronto Raptors Sad are a disappointing teams, man. And... It was kind of funny because statistically, the Raptors had their best year yet, in like best year ever. Finishing the year with a 59 and 23 record, it gave them the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And this was a completely different Raptor team than we've ever we've ever seen till that point. You know, the Raptors are looking like true contenders for the you know for the first time ever. You know, in the in the, in the Larry Derozan era. You know, they had a top two offense, a top five defense. They had a good mix of veteran players, young talent. They had depth. Um, And this was also the year when Dwayne Casey finally gave up some control over the offense to Nick Nurse, which completely unlocked the Raptors' potential. Like, the Raptors always had a solid defense over those few years with Dwayne Casey. And credit to Dwayne. We, We give Dwayne a lot of respect on this show because, like, He really instilled a culture With the Raptors And really like Brought us that defense First mentality So uh, That's still to this day With the Raptors So Dwayne Casey Was definitely responsible But he was not really An offensive mind And that was always The Raptors main Sticking point
1: Listen As much credit as we give Dwayne Casey For his defense Watching the Raptors On offense Was kind of brutal at times
0: Yeah It was a lot of like Isos A lot of you know Not a lot of movement Going uh, And it just Wasn't pleasant basketball, or effective basketball to watch. Especially in the playoffs. Especially in the playoffs. But under the Nick Nurse setup, they had a lot more ball movement, less isolations, more three-point shots. The offense completely opened up. This was also the first year DeMar DeRozan became a playmaker. He averaged the most assists of his career that year, and he was taking threes. Uh, Kyle Lowry became a lifestyle three-point shooter that year as well. And the Raptors, again, they became... They were really, you know... Becoming true contenders in the Eastern Conference and they had some good names on that team Kyle Demar, Sergi They traded for Sergi Baca that season, which was a huge trade uh, They had Norm they had Fred VanVleet they had Pascal they had rookie OG Ananobi they even had the owners too So the Raptors had some great talent on their team and they even beat the Wizards in round one who if again two years prior the Wizards swept our asses uh, in the first round So we got revenge on the Wizards beating them in the first round. Three years. Sorry, three years prior. But we got revenge on them beating them in the first round. We released our, you know, first round woes only to get swept by LeBron and I'm going to just say that horrible 2018 Cavs team. That That was not a good team. That team was garbage. And when you single-handedly get beat by one guy, it's embarrassing. And honestly, LeBron owned us like as Raptor fans we're gonna 100% say he owned us like you know you don't spin the ball you know in front of and nail a three in front of a player's face or pretend that you're taking a sip of wine or something in the middle of a game like we got clowned and then he hit probably one of the best and most clutchest fadeaways ever it was
1: more of a floater but yeah
0: floater whatever but like like he shattered our hopes and dreams of that ever that was, winning once he hit that that was it that, Bro, was, that, was, that was pretty much it you know, and and it didn't help that, like, our star player, like, DeMar DeRozan was god-awful that play, that, for the, and during that series, man. Uh, Kyle was still okay, but DeMar was just not there. And we expected DeMar to step up in that moment, and he just didn't, man. And it was literally the reason why Masai had to break up this court. Now, ultimately, it led to Kawhi Leonard, and then it led to, you know, one of these. But he also had to fire the coach of the year in Dwayne Casey, and he had to shake things up. Because every year, the Raptors would do well in the regular season, get to the postseason, find LeBron, lose to LeBron. It just kept happening over and over and over again. And 2018 was probably the worst year because they were so good. They were so... Like, they could Like, honestly speaking, I I, I think that year, I was saying they could have made it to the conference finals. Yeah. That year. And they just didn't do it. Again... The issue, like you
1: said, is when you're losing to one guy every single season, it doesn't help. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Similar to what we said about the Dallas Mavericks, like I said earlier in the episode about the Dallas Mavericks and their one Achilles heel the Golden State Warriors, the Toronto Raptors' Achilles heel is basically LeBron James. I definitely feel like if, if Toronto had not faced LeBron James in those playoffs, I feel like they could have had a championship, or not a championship. Gone to the finals. Probably. They, they, I don't think they would have beat the Warriors. But um, they definitely could have gone to the finals. And the issue was that they just ran into LeBron. And the problem was, you know, like you talked about, we love DeMar DeRozan. But unfortunately, the story with him every single time you saw LeBron was that he just completely shrank. Like, that was, that was the issue with DeMar DeRozan, right? And you could see it on the court in the sense where he wouldn't take the jumpers that he normally did. You know, he would... Try to switch off of little. It, it, it was just, it was not a good product to have. Um, an interesting point about this is, you know, when I remember this vividly because I told you this when that actually happened. The last two weeks of that season, the, the Raptors played great for that whole season. Unfortunately, if I remember correctly, the last two weeks of that season did not go so well. Uh, Fred Van yeah. Vliet had actually gotten injured and so he came back during the Cavs uh, series. The last two weeks of that season, the Raptors did not play that well. And based on those last two weeks, I might have jinxed it. I don't know. Probably. I had told you when that happened right before the playoffs. I was like, yo, I don't think it's happening. Yo, he jinxed it. I I literally called it. I was like, I don't... Based on the issues that we're having, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Especially since, you know, the annoying thing was too. The Cavs had lost on purpose in their last game, if I remember correctly. Just to face us in that second round, I know they had done
0: it on purpose. I was so mad because we were looking to be getting away from the they Cavs. Tried, when they? Like they were, they were, what they were going to be, what the the third seed, I think. Yeah, and then they dropped to four, and we're
1: like they oh. had the Raptors had tried, and the Cavs had blown their games on purpose to face the Raptors. And Richard Jefferson, I think, even talked. I don't think Richard Richard Jefferson was on that team. Yo, but know, you know, guys. other teams had talked about. Richard Jefferson talked about, you know, the earlier Cavs teams he about talks too much shit. how they wanted to face Toronto. And that's an embarrassment, man. Like, that's just simply an embarrassment. It was, man. You know, and the fact that the Cavs lost on purpose just to get us shows how much of a stranglehold they had over our franchise. Specifically, LeBron,
0: basically, not the Cavs. Yeah, like, screw Richard Jefferson. You didn't do shit. It was, <laughs> it was all LeBron. But, like, either way, like, like the fact that the matter that that team had so much potential and it just completely just it didn't go anywhere but overall man the bottom line is the Raptors were just they're a disappointing team and I guess the the law like the the good news is that through that disappointment through those hardships we were able to you know make the requisite changes and you know we got our championship out of it. Which Again, is, the
1: one thing that still hurts is, uh, like, we were never actually able to get past LeBron. That but we beat
0: LA. we we own LA Braun. Yeah. We own him.
1: D- until so, we don't this year.
0: Listen, until that happens, we still own him. We, we are undefeated against LeBron like, exactly. <laughs> in LA. But, yeah, man. So, those were our five most disappointing teams of the last 15 years. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree? And which teams do you think are, were the most disappointing teams? Let us know, either on the comment section on YouTube or on social media. Which brings us into the up and under segment for this weekend. There was a lot of news, actually. a lot of Some, some stuff even broke even earlier today. Yeah. But first and foremost, are you up or under on the Brooklyn Nets? Of course, it's the Brooklyn Nets. Signing Paul Millsap and now recently, um, with a clean bill of health, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, to a one-year $2.6 million deal. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, as y'all everyone knows, was had to announce a retirement back in April due to a heart condition. Uh, he was just recently medically cleared to return to play, which is fantastic for him. And again, um, it's amazing that he was able, uh, he's able to to come back and actually finish his career on his terms.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, again, for Brooklyn Nets fans or for Brooklyn as a team, I guess I'm up on it. For me personally, I'm under on it because yo, I'm damn under. How, on it. Again. Is it, technically Lamarcus Aldridge was still supposed to be on this team, so you know, shout out again, shout out to Lamarcus Aldridge for being able to come back. So, um, you know, what is surprising, I guess, is his, his the way the Chris Bosch situation was handled compared to his. Again, they're different. They're different. Um, you know, different different uh, problems between the two, but. You know, if we remember, like, Chris Bosh wanted to come back as well, but no team was basically going to take the chance to sign him. So, again, I know it's different conditions, but it was just interesting to think about it in that respect. Um, But, again, shout out to Lemoy Kisaldrej for being able to come back, um, you know, and hopefully he has a clean bill of health from now on and can, you know, retire properly. Um, But, again, for me, personally, I'm under on it, man. Like...
0: Yo, how many uh, players do the Brooklyn Nets need, yo? This has literally become the 2015 All-Star Game. Like, the amount of... Like, look at their starting five. You have Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, off the bench, Patty Mills, uh, who else, Paul Millsap. Um, I'm forgetting probably other players. Joe Harris. Like, look at that team. Like, how many players do you need? And how are they... like? like and they're paying the three main guys almost 40 million dollars each how how does this make any sense
1: well again it is an arms race and the two teams involved in those arm races are the brooklyn nets and as we're going to talk about right now the los angeles lakers and them signing deandre jordan now are you up or under on this again like i said this is literally just a two-team race in terms of grabbing every single player on the market
0: Pretty much. And add DeAndre Jordan to the list of the 2012 All-Stars <laughs> with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I mean, I, I'm up on it for the Lakers in the sense that if they're getting rid of Marcus Gasol, then fine. He can kind of play the JaVale McGee type of role for them. And I think that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to like piece together the things that worked from their, their, their last championship. Um, which I think is a decent strategy, but... Yeah, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, at this point, we know at this stage of his career, we know what he is. So if he can just come in and give you some good minutes, um, that's pretty much all the Lakers really need him to do.
1: Yeah, man. Again, like uh, I'm cool. With, I'd rather have the Lakers win than Brooklyn. To be personal, but like again, this is a, there has to be some sort of line. I think, and we've talked about this. So I'm not gonna talk about it too much, but. There has to be some sort of line with what the league it does because this is just getting like ridiculous at this point. We talked about you, you talked about how the Brooklyn Nets are paying forty million to their top three guys and somehow they fit the rest of the roster in. Because the guys are literally paying Anthony Davis and LeBron 90% of the cap and somehow they fit in this entire Again, roster in.
0: Again, it's big market, but also just guys are just taking the minimum deals. And Adam Silver is just allowing this to happen. Like Adam Silver allowed the James Harden trade to happen. Like even though Like, again, I know he's pro player and he player empowerment, but the players have too much power.
1: And again, we're not saying to completely restrict the players because, you know, players have a valid point when they say if you want to leave your job, you're allowed to leave your job. Sure. Fine. But the issue is that there's too much power. There has to be some sort of balance where, you know, again, it's also the LeBron effect, you know, the KD effect of where great players will automatically gravitate towards playing with them just because of how great they are again you're never going to be able to control that because that's always been the case if michael jordan had had the, the the money that they have today everyone would have ran to play with michael jordan too it's an it's a fact right so you can't really do anything about that but there has to be some sort of balance where it's not just like everyone trying to load up as much as they can and somehow you know getting every single good player on like five different teams across the league it's not it's not good for the product as a
0: whole for the nba too i think if we don't see brooklyn versus the lakers in the nba finals next year i'm gonna just laugh at both these teams because it's just like y'all did all of this and still couldn't do it like there needs to be competitive balance in a league and right now there just isn't in the nba and it kind of just sucks but speaking of two of a team that always was a, was a very competitive team, and these two guys were a big part of it. Are you up or under on Zach Randolph and Tony Allen are becoming the first Grizzlies to have their jerseys retired?
1: I'm up on it, man. Major respect. You know, like the Memphis Grizzlies were definitely grit and definitely grind, griff- grit and grand, right? They're always one of my favorite teams of the 2010s. Amazing. Um, I I loved watching them. You know, most people did not like watching them, but I loved personally watching them just because it was just Very old school gritty mentality of basketball, and these two guys were definitely two of the foundational pieces of those teams. And just how much they meant to those the success of those teams you know, the most successful years in franchise history, but also what they meant to a community off of it. They definitely deserve their jerseys to be retired, not to mention the fact that they're sort of able to build their own reputations. Um, for this team, yeah, exactly. Tony Allen, you know, coming off of that terrible ACL injury from Boston. Him being able to reimagine himself, rework himself as a player, as a new type of player in Memphis. And then Zach Randolph in particular, you know, I'm not gonna talk about his past too much, but we knew we know of all the issues that he had going back to jailblazer's days, right? Um, and for him to be able to come into Memphis and rebuild his, I think, reputation and the way he was as a player and just have the best season of his career, make an all-star team. Um, you know, these guys deserve it, man. They just, because of how much they meant, even us as non-Memphis people, even we could understand how much they meant to that city, how much they meant to that franchise. So for them to be the first to retire by Memphis, hands down, they definitely deserve
0: yeah, it. Yeah, man. Like it's, Zach Randolph is not only with you, it's just a great player dominant. force. By the way, my, like my, a good friend of mine, like, yo, he he loves Zach Randolph. He's like, yo, Zebo's my guy. I'm like, I respect that. And like again, he he was trying to continue, and Zebo can still play today. I'm like, I don't know about all that, but yeah, you know. know really. But Zach Randolph was great in his time. He was just a great player, and he was just a great guy. Like he was a good, good dude in the community. Uh, not to mention like what he did in Memphis was fantastic. And then Tony Allen, I mean, he rebuilt himself in Boston. But you, we all got it. We all see Marcus Smart as this like good defender and all this stuff, a scrappy type of player. Tony Allen was was that before Marcus Smart. And I think Tony Allen was better than Marcus Smart well, was. Well, I mean,
1: Kobe said best, right? The hardest player he had to play against,
0: arguably, was Tony Allen. Yo, man, the, 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 guy, the guy locked up. And he again, he said it. First team, all defense. Because that's what he was. He's not a fake like Patrick Beverly,
1: you know? Uh, okay, Patrick, I, I'll give credit to Patrick Beverly. He's a good defender. I, I can't say he's not a good defender. You're not Tony Allen, though. Well, nobody's not many people are Tony that's Allen.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Moving on. Are you up or under on the Atlanta Hawks and Clint Capella agreeing to a two-year $46 million extension?
1: I'm up on it, man. Clint Capella definitely deserves it. Atlanta's running it back. He's shown, again, Atlanta as a team will see if this offseason will kill them in their long-term outlook. Um, But Clint Capella definitely deserves this extension. Um, You know, coming off of Houston where Houston just Dumped him. For yeah, some they reason. got rid of him. It, it was again. It's still puzzling to this day as to why exactly they did that. Daryl
0: Morey is a confusing guy. Let's just leave it at that. Like,
1: again, like bro, Clint Capella, he didn't. He obviously didn't play when he got to Atlanta, but well, since he, he started playing for Atlanta, you've seen what this guy has done. Multiple 2020 games. He's had multiple 15, 15 games. This guy's been a beast in Atlanta, and we,
0: and we saw him with Harden, just him being a lob threat, just being that like dominant presence inside, like. Now you see him with Troy Young, like, well, you give a, you give him a distributor, like, he's going to, he's gonna, he's going a feast.
1: And like, again, he's one of the best at his position, no doubt about pretty it. Pretty much. You know, anchoring the paint on both ends of the court. So, again, Clint Capella definitely deserves it. As for the Hawks and what they're gonna do, again, their salary cap, is, their, their their books are kind of looking a little, I would say, shaky right now, but... It all depends on how this next season turns well, out. Well,
0: they so. invested into this core. They, they, they think they have something here. Now, do I think it's enough? No, but they, they, the Hawks and their management feel like they have something. So they want to see what they can do with it. So, I mean, it's also a two-year extension too. So it's not even that bad in terms yeah. of how long it is.
1: Again, um, yeah. No, next, are you up or under on your favorite player? Uh, ben Simmons. He is reportedly not going to the 76ers training camp as he is done with Philadelphia.
0: I'm under. I don't care. What right does Ben Simmons have to not show up to the training camp? What leverage do you have? You have zero. No team wants you. You have- what teams want him. They're not willing to pay the price though. Eh, fine. But either way, your value is at an all-time low. People have so many teams of questions about if you can truly live up to your potential and your hype and but you think okay, just now asking out of Philly and just not showing up the training camp ooh, scary it it doesn't matter ultimately speaking all Ben is doing is tanking his own trade value he's making it harder and especially him pin picking and choosing teams he wants to go to is even worse you just need to get out of Philly, and I agree. Sixers need to trade you. You demanded a trade. That's fine. They were looking to do it anyways. But the Sixers need to come back to earth and actually realize that you, we got to deal with this guy. And Ben needs to get out of his own head and stop thinking that he's some superstar type of player and realize I'm on the verge of not even being, being able to be calling myself a starter in this league.
1: Okay, no, no, that's a bit much. Listen, but- man,
0: what does he do offensively in this league? If he doesn't have the ball in his end, what does he do?
1: Well, that's the issue, right? But, yeah, I'll say this about Ben Simmons, like you were talking about, and like we previously mentioned about the players having a bit too much power, case in point, Ben Simmons actively tanking his trade value, right? and yet he doesn't care. Why? Because even if his his trade value is at all time low, he knows Philly's going to have to trade him. And that's the issue with where we're at in terms of stars asking out nobody has a problem if you want to ask for a trade but the way stars are asking out now at the you know they know they're screwing their team their teams over Anthony Davis situation uh, James Harden situation they know they're actively screwing their teams over in the process they don't care why because the NBA has to accommodate to them the rest of the league has to accommodate to them their team has to accommodate to them doesn't matter if the team is not gonna get anything in return the team already knows you have to trade the guy and so despite the fact that they're not getting anything in return, they have to do it now. And that's the issue, again, tying it back to where there's a bit too much player empowerment in regards to these situations. Now, again, like you said, Ben Simmons tanking his trade value not only by publicly asking out um, in this manner, but also, you know, like you said, restricting himself to teams. I think that the term that was used was he's a young socialite and he wants to be in markets that fit his lifestyle.
0: No, come on, man. No, come on. You need to, you need to learn how to shoot a basketball. That's what you need to do. If it's in Sacramento, it's in Sacramento. If it's in, uh, if it's in Denver, it's in Denver. Like- this is the issue
1: I have, man. It's like for teams, honestly. Sometimes I just want, like, again in the same thing with the James Harden situation. I was like, yo, it would be funny if Houston or in this case Philly just traded him to Kings or something. Traded him to like... And they, the
0: team. and they can. That's the thing. Ben Simmons doesn't have a no trade, no trade clause. He doesn't have any of this stuff. He, the Sixers have every right to trade him to whatever team gives him the best offer. And it could be anybody. It could be the worst team in the league. It could be Cleveland. It could be, you know... Um, I'm blanking out. some of the worst team in the league. Minnesota. Like, it doesn't matter. Minnesota
1: but, would not be... A, they'll, they'll be but they're going like, to
0: have to well, give up some guys to get him.
1: And that's the issue, right? The Sixers aren't budging. Ben Simmons isn't budging. Somebody's gonna have to budge at one point, and we all know it's gonna be the team because that's how the NBA is at this point. Um, again, unfortunately, just there's there's no balance anymore in the But Daryl
0: Morey was asking for a high price. Like Daryl Morey was was kind of being being dumb, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like yeah. everyone knows you want to trade the player. Like why are you? <laughs> You know, trying to ask for so much. Like, exactly. you have no leverage here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: And, yeah, like I said, man, this issue with Ben Simmons is also, I think, ties into the broader issue of what we've always talked about with, you know, the, the lack of balance in terms of the players versus the teams. Um And, you know, we'll see what happens with Ben Simmons, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, and finally, are you up or under on the Toronto Raptors signing Sfi Mikhailov to a two-year deal with a second year being a player option?
1: I mean, I'm up on it, man. This was a surprising move I for know. us, man. <laughs> like, we saw this. We actually both saw this notification, I think, at the same time. And I, I was like, yo, this is a very good move for Decent Masai pickup, to pull yeah. off. Um, he was great last season, I think, in the limited role that he had. Of course, every time he played the Raptors, he killed us. Of in course, typical, he did. Everyone, everyone always kills us. So... Uh, that was not surprising, but he, you know he's one of the better three point shooters in the league. Um, he'll basically fill the Matt Thomas role, except I think he's going to get some playing time because mm-hmm. he's not as bad as Matt Thomas. He's a lot better.
0: Yeah, I he think can, Nick he's, he's all, athletic. You I know. think Nick would actually trust him a little bit exactly. more too. He can
1: he can actually shoot right, unlike Matt Thomas, who would get to games and just get his shots blocked or not be able to shoot at all.
0: Well, he can he can create his spacing. Get his shot off. That was something that Matt Thomas struggled with.
1: And again, he's a lot bigger than Matt Thomas. You know, he's a lot more athletic than Matt Thomas. And he's not going to be a complete liability on defense like Matt Thomas was. So I think this is a very good pickup, obviously, for him personally. You know, he, that's why he's banking on this year being a good year for him too. You know, hence the player option for that second And year. developmental system. Exactly. So, I think it's a, good, it's a good deal for both parties, in all honesty. It's, it's just, it's a very under-radar, but very good move.
0: Yeah, it's a low-key, it's, it's another good, decent signing by the Raptors that gives them even more depth from last year.
1: And, again, flexibility. Right? Bro, how do we, we go
0: through last season with our depth versus this year? It was, it was a
1: struggle last season, to say the least, man. It was a struggle.
0: Bro, oh my god. Um, but with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, YouTube. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, follow us on, on, on social media, Twitter and Instagram at up, N, under Facebook.com slash upandunderpodcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur so definitely check that out if you haven't done so also check out our website upandunderpodcast.com it's our central hub for the show it's a place where where we write blog posts about every single episode so if you don't have time to listen or watch the full thing you can read about it on our website so definitely check that out if you haven't done so uh, and, yeah, man, training camp is going to be very soon, within the next few weeks or so, and then, man, back into a new regular season. So And more off-season content on the way. More off-season content on the way. So definitely stay tuned for that. Subscribe on the, all, all the platforms. And with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.